Gambling is pretty common. Some even say it's part of Australian culture. And for many people, it's a harmless activity. But for some, it can become an issue. Welcome to Let's Talk Gambling, the podcast, covering topics like kids gaming and gambling, the risks of online gambling, and knowing when it's time to talk. This podcast series gets the conversation started. So let's talk gambling with your host, Natalie Wright, Director, Office of Responsible Gambling, New South Wales. Gambling is quite widely accepted in Australia. Some people even think it's part of Australian culture, whether it's two up on Anzac Day or having a bet on the Melbourne Cup. But our society is very diverse, especially in cities like Sydney. Attitudes and beliefs about gambling are not the same for everyone. To explore what gambling means in our diverse communities and the impact it's having, we've got two guests with us today. Mary Lou Gitsey is the manager of the Multicultural Problem Gambling Service for New South Wales. Tom Nance is the manager of policy and programs at Western Sydney Community Forum and has just led the development of a culturally appropriate framework for responding to gambling harm. Welcome to you both. To get us started, Mary Lou, how different are attitudes towards gambling in multicultural communities and to people gamble differently? Well, I think the response to that is in the question, multicultural approach. So as we all know, Australians, particularly at the last census in 2016, reported having been born in over 250 countries, speaking around 270 languages in their home. That's just the language and the country of birth. So as many cultures, as many people, and within those cultures, there are microcultures as well. So it would take probably a very long time to elaborate on that. But certainly the communities do have various ways of regarding gambling and not just gambling, but also the level of gambling, what people get up to. So in some cultures, gambling is fine. It's well accepted, in fact, practiced in family surroundings. But once the behavior becomes out of control, that's where things become problematic for the community and the families themselves. Also, of course, there's a difference between people who are first generation recently arrived and people who have been here for many years or people who are second generation but still experiencing very strong influence from the family and their cultural and religious background towards how gambling is regarded and how they are gambling as well. There are various ways we gamble. There's various attitudes towards it. So it's a very big question. Yes, it is. It is indeed. And we know that people struggling with gambling don't often recognise that they have an issue and shame and stigma often can stop them from getting the support that they need. Mary Lou, in your experience as a counsellor, is this the case in multicultural communities as well? Well, look, definitely not necessarily knowing that there is a problem, but Openly recognising that there is a problem, I think there's a big difference between those two things. And the stigma attached to gambling as well as help-seeking, once again, a very complex question. So apart from Anglo-Saxon cultures, my colleagues pointed out that there are not many other cultures that are individualistic. In collectivist cultures that most of us are coming from, when you do something that will have a negative effect on your family or even yourself, will put you in a difficult situation within your community because your actions will have a serious consequence on how your family is being viewed within the community. That's one of the big problems. Another issue is around help-seeking. So, for example, in Islamic religion, gambling is forbidden. 
But the people who practice that religion mostly come from collectivist cultures, which means they do get help from family and religious leaders and community leaders. Now, if the behavior is forbidden, who are you going to approach if you have a problem? That's a very big issue and it will be a barrier to help seeking. And the stigma, for example, in Chinese cultures, if you look at it, Gambling is fine. You know, the families get around on Chinese New Year and gamble together and children are encouraged to participate. But if you are in Australia, that's a very different context. Once again, if you go out gambling and you gamble to excess, at which point the activity of doing something where you lost control of your behavior is what's stigmatized and what's regarded in a negative way. We have many international students as our clients. They come to Australia often at great expense to the family and their loneliness in Australia and their keenness to to join the local community to be just like everybody else, which young people want to do, will often land them in gambling environments. So if they do lose money through that and the money is what the family came up together with, it is a very big problem. People then find themselves alienated from family, finding themselves even more alone than they were ever before. So again, stigma and shame attached to the behavior and shame around the fact that they have squandered the money. I could go on about this because it is, as I said, as many communities, as many cultures, there are various issues that crop up. Yeah, it's very nuanced, I guess, depending on the community and even the circumstances. And Tom, your organisation does a lot of work with a number of communities in Western Sydney, and you've recently led the development of a project looking at this issue. Is gambling a significant issue in the communities you're working with? And what kind of impact is it having? Look, most definitely, Natalie, I would say that gambling-related harm is actually one of the most pervasive issues in our region in Western Sydney, in my opinion as well, one of the most critical. It's impacting both culturally and linguistically diverse communities, as well as the traditional Anglo communities, as Mary Lou talked about before. Now, it's really important to talk about the fact that it affects the region disproportionately. Clubs and pubs in our region account for 41% of the losses in the state, despite Western Sydney only containing 28% of its electronic gaming machines. So there's already that disproportionate effect. I think everyone in Western Sydney knows someone who's been impacted by gambling-related harm firsthand. It has so many different faces, whether it's the mate who disappears at the pub and then has to be dragged out of the VIP lounge and put in the back of a cab, whether it's the aunt who talks about how she got lucky the other day and won $100 at the pokies without talking about how much money she spent to chase that loss, or whether it's about the mate on the soccer team who talks to you before the game about how most of his paycheck went straight to the multi that he knew was a short thing. There are so many stories, and I'm sure that, you know, those are just the ones I know firsthand, but I imagine the majority of our listeners might have their own stories as well. Of course, when we talk about the impact of gambling, we're immediately drawn to that economic element, the hip pocket, if you will. And when you look at the data, it's really sobering. In Western Sydney alone, prior to COVID, nearly $1.4 billion was lost in pubs and clubs in Western Sydney in a six-month period. We're talking an equivalent to $7.5 million a day. 
that's lost across Greater Western Sydney and often lost by the people who can't afford to lose it. When we think about it as well, we've recently heard that spending in online gambling in Australia's two biggest cities, Sydney and Melbourne, has peaked at 329% above normal levels during the latest lockdown. So again, we're not seeing the issue of gambling-related harm going away. We're just seeing it move to new avenues. Now, the impact of gambling isn't just about that hip pocket. Of course, we're drawn to the economics, but it's far more pervasive than that. And it impacts both families, individuals and communities as well in a number of ways. It's really important to acknowledge also its intersectionality. Often when we hear about domestic violence cases, it might be due to financial stress that's been caused by gambling-related harm. And when we think about some of the impacts of gambling, we know from the literature as well as our own research, it impacts on relationships at worst in terms of intimate partner and family violence. It impacts on emotional and psychological well-being as well, both in terms of the person doing the gambling, but also their loved ones around them. It also has an adverse impact on health because we know the stress in terms of accumulating losses and the stress that that brings is incredibly detrimental to overall health outcomes. There's also the impact on work, study and economic activity. Often people struggle to maintain their studies or hold down a job due to what's going on and due to chasing their losses through gambling. We also know that often people are driven to criminal acts due to the desperation of their situation as well. In our research, we also talk about another domain, which we refer to as cultural harms. And this refers to the impact that Mary Lou alluded to, that gambling has on cultural elements within an individual's life, particularly in connection with collectivist cultures and the stigma that can be attached with some of this behavior within those communities. There's often a perception, though, that it's only people from culturally and linguistically diverse communities who gamble. Now, that's completely untrue. Gambling happens across the spectrum. The reality is, the research tells us, though, and this is really important to acknowledge, that while people from culturally and linguistically diverse communities actually tend to participate less in gambling activities, those who do gamble are much more likely to experience problems due to a number of vulnerabilities. Thanks, Tom. That's really insightful and that's pretty consistent with the research we've conducted as well. Mary Lou, you work every day helping people affected by gambling, but also trying to help the community prevent problems before they occur. What do you think we can do to reduce harm in these communities? I think there are two things that are really, really important. One of them is across various communities, education in language so that people can access the information very early on on their arrival. If you think about going to a new country, having to live there, and you've got a lot of information thrown at you, I think having something available in your own language is always preferable because your brain is just so overburdened with all that stuff that you have to take on board in another language that it's really quite tiring and you'd rather not. It's not an essential thing about day-to-day living yet it becomes part of your life very quickly in the Australian context. If you look about all the advertising and wherever you go, it just props up 24-7. So I think that's one of the important things. The other thing that we have been doing for a while now is engaging with community leaders. 
Because as I said, a lot of people from collectivist cultures will go to their community leaders to assess some support. So if cultural and religious leaders can actually act as support and be open to be approached and talk about gambling in the Australian context, people will be much more comfortable talking about it. A lot of our clients take quite a while before actually find services because they, first of all, as you said beforehand, you know, people take a while to realize that there's a really big problem. Once they realize there's a problem, where do you go? Can I go to family? Can I go to the usual support network that I access? If not, what else can I do? For many communities, the whole concept of counseling is a foreign concept. Their take on counselling is like, oh, it's got to be something to do with people who are crazy. That's inverted commas, obviously. But in many communities, that is the take on it. So they need to understand, we need to educate the communities about what it means and what confidentiality means in the Australian context. Once again, a lot of our clients come from countries where that concept is, it's a word, but it's not really the concept that we mean in the Australian context. So we do put a lot of effort into unpacking that and convincing our clients that, you know, there will be, the information won't be shared. Because if you think about the idea that the community is tight-knit, if I speak to another person from my own community, what will stop me from sharing that information, what they give me? Or if I need an interpreter, what will stop the interpreter from sharing that information? So they won't even open up unless they feel quite comfortable and confident that their information will not be shared. Also, for the community leaders to be able to support them, they do need to make that next step. Southwest Sydney has invested quite a bit of time and effort into getting some of the religious leaders together recently. And they were very, very actively acknowledging the fact that gambling is an issue in their communities but the next step of actually addressing it or to opening the conversation with community members is what needs to happen because it's not a natural progression. Ethnic media channels are also very useful for that and that is something to do with again as many communities whatever works for some of our communities online fantastic you know people readily and, and happily go online for some it has to be the ethnic radio stations in language there's some of them is the specific newspapers that are circulated around the suburbs so it is a very very big job and it is very very important to educate people of what gambling is in the australian context also i spoke earlier about international students some of them and a lot of them come from communities where this is the first time they actually have some autonomy over money over their own life choices so they are quite keen to exercise that autonomy but then they say well why does the government allow this to happen that there is so much damage that can be done by gambling well because you have to take responsibility for your own actions the government in australia is not going to stop you from stepping in from the bus is not going to stop you from gambling to excess you have to make sure to keep yourself safe but if you don't have enough information you won't be able to do that so that is why information sharing is really really important and early on and in language thanks mary lou and tom you've developed a framework to help organisations working in this space to do so in a culturally appropriate way. And just as Mary Lou's outlined, there's multiple ways to reach the many different communities in Sydney in particular and throughout the rest of New South Wales. So how should we be talking about gambling within diverse communities? What advice have you got for those that work with 
people and communities from diverse backgrounds? Look, there's a couple of things and definitely echoing what Mary Lou has said earlier. But I think the first thing when we're speaking broadly as a community that we need to think about is how we bring gambling and gambling related harm to the forefront of the discussion. Gambling in this country, as you alluded to, Natalie, has been normalized to the point where this is an invisible epidemic that's happening right now. You referred to two up earlier about how that's seen as the national pastime on Anzac Day. We look at sports betting ads and the fact that you can't watch sport in this country anymore without knowing where the live odds are and who's paying out on what. It's hard to walk around Western Sydney these days without hearing someone hitting a feature on an electronic gaming machine. And we're at the point in this country where Lotto isn't actually seen as gambling. We really need to bring that to the forefront when we're talking about gambling and gambling-related harm across communities, particularly with diverse communities as well. I think as well, to echo what Mary Lou said, there needs to be a concerted effort for us as leaders and to engage with community leaders and to really start moving the conversation away from blame and stigma towards that help-seeking behaviour and how we can all play a part. If we take the public health lens of this, Gambling isn't about a person being deviant or being evil. It's about the fact that it's not simply biological behavioural factors. It's about broader population and environmental consideration, including things like education, income levels, access to opportunity. All of these things are key predictors in terms of whether someone will gamble in a risky way. We also need to really, I guess, reshape the conversation so we're not focusing on people losing all their income as stupid or as deviant or evil. For us, when we think about the giving advice for people working with communities with diverse backgrounds, we've really uncovered a few things when we think about our culturally responsive framework to address gambling-related harm. Firstly, I think it's really important that we focus just not on the harms alone, because the reality is these are just symptoms. Someone who commits a crime because they need money to put into electronic gaming machines. That's just a symptom. We're not treating the vulnerabilities. We're not treating the stresses if we're just focusing on that. And we need to look at the bigger picture. When we're talking about stresses, of course, culture itself isn't the reason why some groups are more vulnerable. It's the socioeconomic factors they experience and the systems they are a part of. When we talk about, you know, the vulnerabilities, it's things like attitudes around help-seeking behaviours, as Mary Lou alluded to. What community resources are out there as well, particularly whether they're in language that's suitable and accessible. We also talk about in our framework things like migration and acculturation. So are there any issues existing in terms of adjusting to Australian life as an additional stressor on top of things that are going on? When we talk about minority experience within our framework, it's really about how a minority status can be experienced different by each individual. A lot of people feel like outsiders within their own community. And what role does that play in terms of their gambling behaviour? And finally, socioeconomic indicators like unemployment, poverty and low income levels are all real predictors in terms of whether someone is at risk of gambling related harm. So when we're keeping these stresses in mind alongside the harms, it gives us a real clear idea of what strategies we can deploy when we're working in this space. Of course, it's around access and inclusion. And as Mary Lou said, the access to bilingual and bicultural knowledge that shapes the work we do as practitioners. It's also that question of community engagement. So how we connect with community and key leaders in a way that supports this kind of messaging and reduces that stigma. It's really important when we're developing practice and we're working with people who've experienced gambling-related harm that we're drawing upon lived experience 
the people out there who've experienced this often know the best way to deal with it, the best way to support someone going through that. So our programs and our interventions need to be drawing upon that, as well as the evidence that is in place and has been developed by researchers like universities, like not-for-profit organisations. It's really important as well, as Mary Lou said, that there is a community education component in what we do. Because the reality is, if we focus solely on delivery, if we focus solely on designing services and delivering service, we're not really changing that culture and changing that conversation, which is critical. It's a critical enabler for us to start addressing gambling-related harm in a meaningful way in our communities. Thanks, Tom. And we all know how important prevention is. And while, as you mentioned, we have a range of services for people that need them, it's exactly why we're talking about gambling on this podcast today, very much about having that conversation, getting the community talking about it, and also being able to identify those areas and risks that they might see in their loved ones or or friends and family. And Mary Lou, just to wrap up there, are there any other elements that we haven't talked about today that you'd like to cover? No, I think it is really important for all of us to work together. It is important, as Tom had pointed out, that the conversations out there in the community, not just community leaders, but GPs and all the people that are part of the support network that people turn to, because that's one of the ways that people will find their way to support services. And that's sure that that's not the prevention part, but at least rather than someone being given only sleeping tablets for sleepless nights over the financial losses, the person perhaps will be able to address the root cause, which is at the point would be the gambling there where they lost the money. The more widespread this is implemented as just like drug and alcohol assessment in all the services to add the gambling question would be very useful. Again, as Tom pointed out, that, you know, it's not the person who's done the wrong thing. This is a very, very big picture for most of our clients who come to us. There's so much more behind it. And I think rather than punishing the person for doing the wrong thing, we need to look at the root cause of why this happened and help people not go down that path because they are supported in other ways. And whatever took them to go down that path, we can intervene before that things go pear-shaped. And if that does happen, well, then they can find their way to treatment services sooner, which will benefit themselves and their families and community at large. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Let's Talk Gambling. I'd like to thank Mary Lou and Tom for their insights into this important topic of gambling in diverse communities. If you need information or support about gambling, please go to gambleaware.nsw.gov.au or call 1-800-858-858, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there is support in multiple languages for anybody that needs it. If today's podcast has raised any issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 44. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Gambling, the podcast. Are you ready to talk gambling? Start the conversation today by reaching out to your loved ones or calling Gamble Aware on 1-800-858-858 for free confidential advice and support. Not quite sure? Tune into the next episode. Visit gambleaware.newsouthwales.gov.au for more information or call Gamble Aware on 1-800-858-858.